0: A woman is walking past my window right now on the street and like singing loud enough that I can hear it through my closed window and like across the like hundred feet of my backyard. Oh my god, I love you. Who are you? I love you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Break Legs. It's great to see you. Here's what's up. So I watched the Dear Evan Hansen film. Watched it in a great theater um, in Anderson, South Carolina, which is not where I live, but it's where I saw this movie. They had heated seats. It was great. Specifically, only the lower part of your back was actually heated by the heated seat, but it was, it was a great theater. Um, and I saw this movie with my family, and I recorded our conversation on the way home from the theater dude can we talk about zoe's car oh yeah orange jeep orange jeep the selfie at the dead guy's lock. that was so funny (laughs) i'm sorry that was so (laughs) funny christine and now i'm recording this and you're going to hear a combination of those two things and that's going to be my Jeremy hansen movie review When I started this podcast, I didn't want to lean towards reviewing very often. At this point, I've made an episode where I just talked about puppets for like 25 minutes, so all bets are off. I'm going to separate this review into several categories, which are going to then have subcategories. So let's start. The first category is like general notes on the quality of the film as a whole. I will say as a whole... This is not a horrible movie. It keeps getting panned, which is kind of funny, but also kind of like, guys, it's a competently made film. I've seen more than one person say that this was the worst movie musical they've ever seen in their life. And I find that to be patently untrue. To use a recent example, I think everybody's talking about Jamie is worse than this movie. And it has a lot of the same problems. I don't know. It's just like, it's fun to make fun of people and it's fun to be negative. Like far be it from me to pretend like it's, it's not fun to be negative, but there comes a point when we're just like, playing a game of who can come up with the rudest thing to say about it and, like, the best hyperbole to express their hatred. I don't know. That's not what this, (laughs) that's not what this episode is gonna be. For the purposes of entertainment, I think that, you know, whacked out hyperbole of how whacked out, crazy hyperbole of how bad this movie is, is entertaining and fun to listen to, but what I'm doing right now is going to be an effort at a, Fair criticism. Just warning you now, it's not going to be super fun. No actor in this film is bad at their job. I will say some of the performances were not what I believe the best performance out of these actors could have been. Probably some of that has to do with direction, and probably some of it has to do with like how a lot of them were given nothing to do. Amy Adams in particular. Amy Adams made that thing like... Wow, Amy Adams really showed up and served yeah. a whole gluten-free <laughs> apple pie. Yeah. Julianne Moore also was like... I think it would have been hard to be Heidi in this film because you're going to be compared to Rachel Bay Jones as Heidi, who brought so much fire to this role. She kind of... She, she didn't... Um, I didn't really feel it. Especially like for some reason, the um the scene where where after they leave the Murphys and and Evan's like, well, I'm the worst thing that's ever happened to you. And she goes, you are the best thing that's ever happened to me. That scene in particular in the film fell really flat for me. And I was disappointed by it. I don't know. I don't know how much because, because it's a repetitive problem among the actors. I have to assume something about it is the direction. It feel it's weird compared to what I'm used to seeing from this show, which is a lot bigger. And it's weird compared to Ben Platt still going really hard. And by the way, we're going to talk more about Ben Platt in a minute. So don't worry, I haven't forgotten him. I don't know, there was like a weird, there was a weird pattern of, of going much smaller, which I know part of that is just beneficial in the transition from from stage to film. People say that on stage overacting as part of the job i don't think that's true as a stage actor i don't think you have to overact in order to read but there is the idea of playing to the back row and so i know some of the tone down sort of thing is gonna be is gonna have to do with going from stage to film but i think also it was just it made it more boring than it already was and let's talk more about that actually. The thing about this movie is it does feel like a slog um for a lot of the time. I think the source material comes dangerously close to feeling like a slog at times already and in some of the changes they made they removed a lot of the brevity. There were scenes in this movie like the dinner scene or some of the interactions with Alana that were made like deliberately less funny than they were supposed to be in the uh Stage production, which I, I was fond of because specifically the dinner scene, that scene is like, I guess it's funny, but in kind of a horrific and painful way. Um, so I wasn't mad that that got cut. But anyway, there's, there's less humor in the movie. And they also remove elements like good for you and everything surrounding that with like Jared and... Evan having the conflict and they they reduce some of Evan and Heidi's like arguments so things like that also got cut which made it you know that's not brevity but it's something different happening which is good because a lot of this story is just it's not boring but like it kind of is boring (laughs) and it's also sort of saying the same things over and over again it becomes sort of cloying like I I saw a reviewer say about this film they were mentioning Jared specifically and they said like his his like flat humor like his sarcasm was a welcome reprieve from the like suffocating earnestness of the rest of the film which I agree with it's very much it's very um it's very <laughs> I don't know. I have a pretty high tolerance I think for boring films and I will admit I was gripped but I don't think I would have been gripped if I didn't have a background with this story, you know? I started to talk about character writing. This is less of a general note, it's more specific, but it is um it is something that I think is worth talking about with this film. We're going to talk about Evan later, just to get that out of the way right now. We're going to... He's going to have his own section. Um, But some of the other characters had changes too. So, Alana... We're gonna talk about Alana first because Alana was this very deliberate uh, deviation from the source material and that they expanded her role and she is written way differently. Alana in the stage production is like made into comedic relief until she's not and she's kind of, I don't want to say annoying, but she's kind of annoying. In this movie she's way more of a human being and a person and I really appreciated that because I'm not a very big fan of Alana in the stage production just because it doesn't feel like she's written very well and she's not super likable to me but Alana in the movie was I think I think much improved I will say there's there might be something to talk about in the fact that Alana basically went from in the stage play being you know weird intense and played for laughs she went from that to sad very sad and I think any any situation where you have a character who is only allowed to be sad, I think in general, it's kind of a bummer. And also it, it feels like you're just not treating them right. But I think it's, it stings a little more when she is the only Black person in this cast. Because there's this issue in media where the only time that Black characters are given depth is when it centers around their pain. And thank God this movie doesn't talk about like, her trauma related to being a woman of color or anything, but it is kind of... Hmm. She also has this sort of weird quality where um they write her as someone who struggles with anxiety and depression, and she has this really weird conversation with Evan where she just... She goes, like, what do you take? As in, like, what prescription do you take for your anxiety and or depression? And she just comes on with this really, like, weirdly strong... <laughs> which feels like a a violation of boundaries and also is kind of like it's a bit clunky the way that they write it. And I think in general, this movie and the source material is not especially good at handling mental illness. No one will be surprised to hear that. But that was just that was kind of like gum guys come on (laughs) next we're gonna talk about zoe i'm gonna use this section to talk about her and evan's relationship because that's still her basically her only function in the story i will say the way their relationship was written this time was better However, my issue with Zoe's writing in the source material was that her like sort of complicated grief process and her feelings towards Connor were not resolved very well and were rather kind of pushed aside and rushed to a resolution in order to transition immediately to her relationship with Evan, which then becomes her only function in the story. While they did make their relationship less slimy a little bit, like they don't have evan kiss zoe at the end of if i could tell her and they don't kiss at the end of you'll be found either which let's be clear i would still that that if i could tell her is still horrible but they made some effort to make it less disgusting but i feel like they still failed to resolve her grief situation i think she could have used more time to be her own person because even if they had you know cut out or put less attention on their relationship the other thing she does in this story is still just like talk about connor so she's still not she doesn't have anything going for herself larry Larry did not realize my worst fears, which is great. Um, I was very skeptical of him being Connor and Zoe's stepdad rather than their biological father because I thought they were going to make like some weird deal about it. And they didn't make some weird deal about it. They did sort of introduce this marginally interesting new element where he has to sort of fight to prove himself as being a real parent to connor even though he's like raised him from being three years old or whatever just because he doesn't have like he's not his biological father um which is interesting uh i think it Might could have done with a little bit more exploring. I think in general, his arc lacks the foundation that it needs, which I feel like it has more of a foundation in the source material, but some of it got removed, which makes it less effective and maybe even slightly confusing when things come up later, which which in the source material are repetitions of the same idea that we've already established, but in the movie, uh, they did not have that establishment. I will also say that him being their stepdad did ultimately have a very small effect on the way anything happened and i think that just confirms to me that this was a decision based on wanting to cast this particular actor who is latinae which like i'm i'm glad that they cast someone who is not a white person because you know in this show any choice to cast a non-white actor is a step forward given the origins of the show but It feels to me like, like I said in my earlier episode, you could have made the whole Murphy family people of color and they didn't do that. And I think there's a reason probably why they didn't do that. I don't know. I feel kind of weird about it. Let's talk about Jared. Jared has the most notes in this category and maybe that's just because he's my favorite. There is this very interesting attempt to make Jared like less of a rude and like aggressive personality which is kind of funny to me just that they bothered to do that. Jared on Broadway historically has been very like I mean he was originated by Will Rowland who he plays him very like punchy like like, loud, laughs at his own jokes type of guy. Nick Dodani plays him very, like, uh, sarcastic and sort of dry, so is almost (laughs) to make him less annoying. Not that I think he's annoying, I mean, but, you know. They also remove the bit, this is very specific, but the part where before the dinner scene where he, like, convinces Evan that he can't tell the truth and that he just needs to, like, the nod and confirm thing, um, they cut that out and they make him less crass. It's kind of funny. I thought it was fine. I thought Nick Dodani was great. Um, the issue I have with jared in this film is that he's given even less to do than he has to do in the source material it still doesn't like explore the fact that he was in on the lie as well as i think it should or resolve that um, at all. And there's even more reason that they should resolve that given that Evan admitted the lie publicly, which we're going to talk about that in a minute. Also, um, Sincerely Me Reprise and Good For You were cut from the film, which effectively writes Jared out of the entire second act. I don't know. I just think there's a lot of untapped potential in Jared as a character, given that he knew about the lie and the like family friend thing. They dropped that whole thing about the, um, uh, well, I don't, I think you don't have any other friends. Like they, they that's gone. I wanted to see a button with jared and instead of instead of sewing on a button they they sewed closed the buttonhole i'm afraid i did not follow that but okay okay (laughs) the other thing about jared is that movie jared is gay and i'm so glad i'm listen i'm never one to complain about a gay character. However, it feels like a ploy because there's so many reasons it could be a ploy. Maybe not may a ploy might not be the word I'm looking for, but like it could I could very easily see it being a diversity grab where they were just like, oh my god, nobody in this nobody in this story is gay yet. We have to make one of them gay. I could very much see it as like a sort of for lack of a better word, like a consolation prize for the fact that they knew they weren't gonna make Evan or Connor gay. My dad also mentioned that apparently he saw a bunch of people on the internet, like, a couple months ago, like, in enraged about how supposedly homophobic Jared was in the source material, which, like, you can read it that way if you want, because he does make the fact that, like, Evan and Connor seem gay. He does make it the butt of a joke, but, like, also, like, he's not wrong and it's funny, so... <laughs> I don't know maybe maybe some people feel better about the you know they think you were lovers coming out of a gay person's mouth the one part why did they make him say honey at that one part I don't know what that was about but um, otherwise that homophobic that, <laughs> no. otherwise great anyway let's move on to the next category which is the music I think in general this movie had a good handling of the musical numbers I will say exceptions to that waving through a window felt a lot like a music video to me which might be a weird distinction to make between a musical number in a film and a music video but there was something off-putting about it to me you'll be found also felt like a music video and it felt like like (laughs) this film did nothing to erase the feeling of you'll be found being like an after school special all of the recordings of the don't remember being bored by any song except for forever for forever felt very stagnant to me but anyway other than those three pretty good i may not be the one to ask because i'm pretty well on board with serious musicals on film anyway but i don't know if you're not on board with the medium you won't like it regardless so maybe it doesn't matter sincerely me was probably my favorite number although in my opinion it got a bit overly silly for my taste but It needs to be silly because it's the one moment of brevity in this godforsaken soundtrack. Every song in this movie is like a slow, earnest pop number. And they're all good slow earnest soulful pop numbers but in terms of a balanced soundtrack it is not one actually can i say something can i say something controversial can i say something controversial yet brave everybody makes fun of to break in a glove as being the worst song on the soundtrack but to break in a glove is not any more boring than half of the songs in this show it's like it's just a bunch of pop dirges one after another the movie actually exacerbated this problem because number one and the new songs that it added are exactly in this style and number two it cut out songs like anybody have a map and good for you that were deviations from this format i just want to i just want to say i'm mad about both of those songs being cut i'm mad about anybody have a map because i think i have a clip of me saying this in the car The waving through the window at the beginning was a good start it was i disagree uh, you didn't know Go, didn't, you didn't, say I, what, I what you, you think well here's the thing I didn't mind it because I think if you're approaching this as somebody who's never seen it on the stage, that was the right call. I think that was a strong, that was a a song that brings people in quickly. They kind of have an idea of what's going on with this kid because he's a weirdo and people don't understand him at school. Okay, like a lot of people can associate with that. Mm -hmm. As opposed to like the opening, it comes in soft when you're doing it in like a theater movie setting, I should say. I I see what you're saying. Here's what I would say. I didn't like it starting with Waving Through a Window because, first of all, the purpose of an opening number in a musical is to establish the world. And in in cutting anybody have a map and going straight to Waving Through a Window, they neglected establishing the world at all and decided that Evan was the only thing that mattered and needed to be (laughs) established, which annoys me. Second of all, I think it went too hard too fast Like, it dove into... Like, there's a reason that the I Want song isn't the first song in a musical. And they made it the first song, which I think just went, like, zero to a hundred really fast. There's also a pattern of cutting songs from the movie that Evan doesn't sing lead on. Like, To Break in a Glove was cut. Anybody Have a Map was cut. Good For You was cut. Which just annoys me for the same reason. And Anybody Have a Map and Good For You in particular are sorely missed because they are something different in the middle of... A kind of repetitive soundtrack. As for the new songs, I mentioned them earlier, but Anonymous Ones and, uh, whatever the one that Connor sings is called, um, they both definitely felt like copies of the same style that all the other songs are in, but I like them both. I think they were both good. Let's talk about Benjamin... So I want to be clear that I think he was still a bad choice for this role and everything I said in my episode about why he shouldn't have played this role still stands. I still believe all of that. Um, I also still am annoyed at him about uh, the way that he reacted to criticism about his choice for the role, as I discussed in my last episode. But I want to be clear... I don't think he was horrible in this film i think he was pretty good he has a really committed performance and it sometimes gets a little too big especially compared to what everyone else is doing um and it comes off really strong but i don't know if this is gonna be controversial i think he's good at acting i don't know (laughs) like if you can get past how he looks he is acting you know there is very much a degree to which it feels like he was the only one who was directed to go as big as he wanted and like i said it sometimes it's very big but he can act and sometimes he's really small he actually he whispers a weirdly a lot in this film for some reason and i feel like the conversation happening right now to some extent people are just being mean i don't know i feel like some people are just like making fun of him for looking ugly like not even looking old just looking ugly his face Looks, looks like, like when they tried to make least. princess leia younger yeah, in I star wars college. and they like had a green screen situation the uncanny valley was very much like, in effect words was fail really was terrifying to me it was that, terrifying. that was a cool singing to yeah. that. like i saw somebody on twitter say like well i wish the guy who played connor had played evan i'm like why do you wish that is it just because he's hotter than ben platt is i think the answer is yes and there's that screenshot floating around of him in the middle of words fail and I, yes it is funny but also like you're just making fun of how he looks and we we all love it when men cry until they're not beautiful i don't know i love negativity and being rude but <laughs> people are just making fun of him for being ugly and like that's that's mean and I must say in terms of the other actors in this movie who play teenagers I'm like really bad at judging people's age by the way they look so I'm not a good one to ask really but I feel like nobody else in this movie looks that much younger than Ben Platt they're just more beautiful Caitlyn Dever may be the exception but I still don't think she looks like a high school as a high school student I still don't think she looks quite like a high school student let's talk about Evan's attempted redemption this is a big topic so if you're if you're not familiar with the source material. The big issue with Dear Evan Hansen, the original musical, is that it's a, it's a two and a half hour long show about a, a this guy doing horrible, horrible things, taking advantage of another boy's suicide for his own benefit, continuing to lie to people for days and months, and he... Is in no way punished, aside from his own anguish, and he is still treated as a sympathetic character. The movie clearly was aware of this. the the creative team of the movie was clearly aware of this because they make changes to make him more sympathetic. There are there are changes to that render him less responsible for what happens and less frustrating in the first place. Like Cynthia comes up with the email thing instead of Evan. Um, he talks less at dinner in general. He's less forthcoming with with lying in that original scene alana starts the connor project instead of evan he's also less horribly rude to the people in his life in the second act they cut good for you obviously as a result of this because they lessen his conflict with heidi and they remove his conflict with jared at all and and with alana a, a bit it also i'm gonna briefly talk here about how they removed connor as a ghost hallucination because i believe i i think that the reason they did that was because they were deliberately taking some of the responsibility off of evan's back and so they didn't want to have these scenes where evan talks himself into continuing to lie for his for his own benefit it's like kind of weird because it sort of backfires in that it is almost maybe worse to you know not include connor at all except for the very beginning and end when they remember that he was you know a person and uh, maybe had feelings especially because they cut all of Connor they don't cut all of Connor but they cut they cut some of Connor's stuff in the beginning too and so the the source material has very much leaves Connor as this unexplored character which is sort of disrespectful given like their whole message is supposed to be like humanizing people with mental illnesses and and stuff like that and Connor who is you know defined by being mentally ill in the same way that Evan is is largely ignored for a lot of it and removing him as as the hallucination almost feels worse because he's literally absent for almost the whole thing but it's also probably not worse because that wasn't him anyway i don't know i wanted him to be a real ghost and he wasn't so i'm devastated there's also changes made to the uh to the script that uh it has Evan take on more responsibility for the lie after the fact. What First of all, he creepily emails everyone Connor has ever possibly seemed to know to try to like investigate his life, which I still think is weird. But the big thing is that he he publicly apologizes. He he comes clean on the internet about the lie and he apologizes and he takes responsibility for it in order to try to convince people to uh, stop cyberbullying the Murphys. It also has a better explanation than the source material does about why Cynthia didn't want to ratify him out to the internet it's still extremely overly kind maybe cynthia just is that kind but they put more effort into into sort of explaining why which i also appreciate so the question is did this work and on one hand yes yes it does make him you know marginally less responsible and him publicly admitting the lie and apologizing makes me feel a lot better about the ending I respect that in trying to build this sympathetic character, they uh, actually show him take responsibility a little bit for his actions. That makes me marginally more willing to um, sympathize with him. I also want to make the point, I have seen it said that Evan in the film is less sympathetic for two reasons. And those two reasons that I've seen personally, people say, was A, because they cut out good for you and good for you was important because it actually acknowledges the fact that Evan is being really horrible and the other reason is it's important that evan is young and looks young because his naivete and you know foolish youngster quality is important to selling the fact that like that you can believe that he didn't have malicious intentions and it was all just a big mistake made by a stupid little baby or something. Here are my rebuttals to both of those points. A, while good for you is, it does feel good to the viewer because it does feel good for someone to acknowledge the fact that Evan is being so horrible, especially because in the stage production he's actually more rude to everyone around him than in the movie. It doesn't serve to actually like make him more sympathetic. Like it might feel more frustrating to you if no one's pointing it out, but that Good For You doesn't put you on his side anymore. It might actually do the opposite because they point out how horrible he's being and they don't even resolve that. Alana and Jared never come up again after Good For You and Heidi, the next time we see her is so big so small when she's comforting Evan because he's so sad. My rebuttal to the second point is this. As a 17 year old, I deeply resent the idea that a viewer would be willing to excuse Evan's actions because they think that he, a 17-year-old like myself, is young enough that they're excusable, that seems to imply to me and maybe I'm just taking it personally but it seems to imply that teenagers can't make responsible decisions that teenagers aren't capable of facing the consequences of their actions or taking responsibility of what they do that teenagers don't have a moral compass I don't think that a 27 year old man doing the things that Evan does is any less excusable than a 17 year old boy doing what Evan does because as much as you want to argue that you know our brains aren't fully developed or whatever evan's actions are on a level that i think 17 year olds are capable of understanding that that's a horrible thing to do so i don't think those two things make evan's portrayal in the movie any less sympathetic by themselves on the other hand it feels kind of slimy to attempt this at all because we could like the money that went into this film it could have gone into telling a story about anyone else who had done anything else in the whole world and we still chose to tell a story about this boy who takes advantage of someone else's suicide which is horrible and it just it still feels kind of wrong to let him off the hook for what he did because it's literally so horrible what he did it feels sort of impossible to earn forgiveness for something like this but i don't know because i do think that it is a flaw to never allow someone re- to recover from their mistakes. And I think that's something that is common in culture today. I'm not gonna use the C word. <laughs> I struggle with the idea of second chances because it can feel really hard, but also, how do you allow people to move forward if you don't allow them to? move past what they've done i i turned this into a really big uh, philosophical question all of a sudden and i apologize for that we were talking about a silly little film um i don't know i don't know <laughs> i do i will say also i i do think that this film would have been better without this insistence on having a feel-good ending it goes back to that thing about like the suffocating earnestness it's like at every beat we have to have this uplifting message and it's really uh, it's tiresome and also, I mean, the issue still remains and will always remain that this is a story about a character who is defined by his mental illness and who does horrible things. That's not anything I want to see in media. I think we have enough of that in media and we don't need to add any more to it. And I do think, to go off on another tangent, I do think this movie and the source material sort of has, like, this rudimentary... I said earlier, it has this, like, clunky way that it treats mental illness. Um, It's not what we need in a movie, but... <sighs> I have weird feelings about this story now. I have long been a dissenter of Dear Evan Hansen but recently I've seen some people say like talk about how this show is important to them like um sis made a a series of Twitter posts about her experience with the show she said like that she saw herself in Evan and that was really important to her and how she appreciated how it was a show about how life is messy and things can feel bad and you know and I also saw there was a there was a woman on Twitter I think she replied to Jesse Annalie, actually listen to musicals with cheese by the way um but he made some he he tweeted something about dear like dogging on dear Evan Hansen and she replied like everyone is so negative about this show and as someone who struggles with uh my mental health and who like is comforted by the show or he said something about along that line she said it made her feel excluded from like the theater community which feels awful to me like I don't I don't want to make anyone feel bad for seeing themselves in this show and I want to be clear that like the reason that people criticize this show is not because it attempts to humanize mental illness and and talk about that experience that's not the reason that anyone is that's not the reason that i have ever criticized this show it's because I have felt that it was a sloppy handling of that issue but I don't know I posted this whole thread on Twitter about like people who see themselves in the show are valid and there's like there's people in the world who are not going to analyze this film super closely and are who are going to like it's going to be effective for them like it's either going to make them feel comforted or influence um how they think about mental illness in a positive way and that's like that's good it's good that it's going to do that for some people. And I just think we kind of have a problem where if something is not perfect, it is easy to tear it down completely, even if it was really good. That's difficult because if we don't allow baby steps to be taken, it can make it so that no steps are taken ever. I think we shouldn't discount that while this is a clumsy execution of a, a positive idea we shouldn't discount the fact that it may still be effective in some context and in terms of you know voting with your dollars and with your the way you voice your opinions when there's a big controversy about something it can theoretically be harmful to tear down something which was a small step in the right direction because people may not be willing to finance the next thing that would be a bigger step in the right direction if they feel like the small step nobody liked it. I think this particular side of it is more applicable to something like In the Heights where there was a very valid criticism of the lack of dark-skinned representation in that film but... It worries me that someone in Hollywood might see controversy around a film centered around Latin stories and say, well, apparently people don't want to see a film like this or I shouldn't make a film like this because it's going to make a controversy rather than people liked this film, but it got something wrong, which we can fix the next time when I finance a film similar to this or a film that's also centering Latin voices. I don't know. It's worth thinking about. I'm just a podcaster. (laughs) <laughs> so don't look to me for your if to for your moral guidelines i'm gonna stop recording now the episode is over um i've said all i would like to say thank you so much for listening you can follow me on twitter at Pod. you can email me at breaklegspodcast at gmail.com thank you to Sil for the theme music to this podcast thank you to anchor for their hosting services thank you for being patient about this episode i saw dear van hansen for the first time on saturday when this episode would have come out so i know it's late i will see you in a couple weeks and everybody hope Everyone has an amazing day, exclamation point, heart emoji.